Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. All righty, two or three things I, I need to talk to you about. First of all, Happy Mother's Day and a wonderful crowd that's here. And we had a good crowd last night. And uh, they were celebrating Mother's Day. How? I don't know. But they were here. If... First of all, I want to talk about Vacation Bible School. We're going to have it this year, and we need, we haven't had it now for a couple of years, COVID thing, and we really need your help. There are kids everywhere who need to be signed up, your neighborhood kids, so on and so forth. A lot of us haven't... um, uh, haven't participated for a while. We need uh, adult supervision. We need teenagers to help. We need people to fi- to provide food, and we need uh, uh, so go to the table out there. Kayla will be there, and volunteer to help us. There are lots of kids in the neighborhood that would come with you if you'll bring them. Sign them up. Take a sheet home, sign them up, bring them. It's time for the church to come alive again. We've been hiding and people have been watching between their toes. We, Alice Kay and I ran into a, a family this weekend. They said, uh, they re- said we, we're there every week, but we're looking between their toes. And they're drinking coffee and watching between their toes. But you know what those thieves do? They never put a penny in the bucket. So we <laughs> that's supposed to be funny, but that's okay. Anyway, push that. Two, I need to uh, make you aware of the fact that Ralph Clay had some, uh, it doesn't sound like major surgery, but it it is on his hands. And it really is painful stuff. And where they've tried to take some of the arthritic uh, calcium buildup there out of it and scrape it off, and it, it is painful, I promise you. So he's at home recovering, so keep him in your prayers because he's almost as old as I am. Uh, but by the way, if there's anybody, had a person to call this week and say, we have a sleeper sofa we want to give away. It's in really good condition. Somebody needs a sleeper sofa. They'll even deliver it here to church, maybe even get it uh, to your home if you need one. And it's free. Jeez. You guys are all rich. You don't give a hoot, do you? Okay. The other thing I'm going to call to your attention that, that you won't hear many preachers do, but this is just because I love you. Most of you probably do not try to keep up with the, uh, with the prices of things and how they're going to go and when. This, coming fr- this past Friday, I was watching uh, CNBC early in the morning. And um, the Chicago, there's two different things you look at. There's the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ, and then there's the Commodities Exchange in Chicago. If you watch the Commodities Exchange, it tells you what's happening with oil and gas. Gasoline is called the Arbob, which means it is the price of the futures of gasoline that you buy at the pump. Only the number that goes across there is what it sells for on the commodity exchange to the distributor who then brings it to the retailer and passes it on to you for the price. The Arbob price this week was about $3.80. You add 80 more cents to that, and in a week or two, that's what you're going to be paying. I'm just encouraging you, go go fill up your gas tank now and save yourself a few dollars because it's going to continue to grow. The president's tried to do some things about it, but the international situation is such it doesn't help any. So the price of gas, and you don't go get it now. <laughs> but anyway, just, just some information uh, for your help there. And uh, so I think that's all I had uh, written down. Now I want to tell you where Matt and Megan are. They're with the Solomon Foundation down in Aruba suffering for Jesus. 
So just to let you know what's going on, don't feel sorry for that bunch of thieves. They should be back here Thursday, God willing. I think that's when they're scheduled to get back. On the preaching schedule, and I don't have much time, so I got to put it in road gear. I got to skip some things and da 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 because we try to get the kids out at a quarter till. And the Baptist will get out early and beat you to McDonald's or wherever you're going to take your. Where do you take a wife on Mother's Day? I asked my wife, where she, where'd you go? That's what I thought. Wendy's or McDonald's, right? Big, big, okay. He's a big spender. And, and, yeah, okay. This will be among the last in the series dealing with the case for Christ. I think we've got six more of these copies back here. And if you are a parent or a grandparent of kids who are high school, junior, senior, or college, you need a copy of this. They're $6 if you have $6. If you don't have $6, steal one and take it with you all in the name of the Lord. Because what, what has happened is in theology, if you look at your, I don't know whether you have your, have your uh, sermon outline with you or not, but you'll see the, uh, the section down, the theological attributes of God. And I put a note there that said why I prefer biblical theology. Systematic theology is put in a book this size. This is what you use for a textbook when you go either to Bible college or then to seminary. And you deal with subjects like the omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God, or the omnipotence of God, the immutability of God. And there's chapter after chapter about it. It's really difficult. And for a local congregation, this is what you should do with a book like that. Because what this guy has done is to take all of those subjects and break them down for human participation so that people with a, with a, a, a high school education can read it and understand it. Lee Strobel is not a theologian. He is a renowned newspaper man who is a superb writer. Now, he's taken theology, don't misunderstand me. But what he did here is he interviewed conservative, Bible-believing theologians and broke it down into 10-cent store Northern Kentucky talk so that you can read it and understand it. And the people who are affected by this are kids who go to state schools and even some of our Bible colleges anymore are weak in biblical theology. And you just need to be aware of it. This is a wonderful little helper, both for parents and for the kids. Okay, that lay aside, we get rid of the theological attributes of God for today and the reason why I prefer biblical theology. Now, the assigned topic for me today uh, was this. Did Jesus, a man, qualify to be called God? Here's a man. Does he qualify? And we only have one resource for that, and that's the Bible itself. And so what I want to do this morning is make the case and then say what we should do about it. And I have to put it in road gear to get done. Uh, I'm, I'm always excited to have people take some of my preaching time for the things that we did today and recognizing these young. We need more young people having babies here at church. So if you know anybody that's uh, getting married, bring them with you and we'll tell them if they don't know how to have babies. So far, they've done pretty good. But anyway, that's, that's a bit, I love to see young families coming up together in the church. And, uh, okay. To save time, you get your, your, your sermon outline in front of you so that you can look at it with both of your eyeballs. If we need to turn up light for people like me, we can do that too. Here's where we're going to start. 14th chapter of John. The context is this. In the 13th chapter, John records how Jesus told his disciples for the first time that he was destined to die. 
It was a part of God's plan. Peter, who always gets his mouth in front of his brain, jumped up and started saying, hey, 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 we, we don't want you. We're, we're comforted by your presence. We like your teaching. We want you to stay here. And Jesus then told him, he said, look, it can't be that way. I've got to go back where I came from. And when I do, I will petition the Father, who then will send another comforter. And he used that term in reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, in the ninth verse of the 14th chapter, remember what we're about here. We're about here to show that the Bible proves beyond all reasonable doubt that Jesus is something that we don't understand. He is both man and God. That's beyond our comprehensive powers. Just admit it, because there's some things that we have to take by faith. Here's what Jesus said uh, when Philip told us. He said, well, uh, show us what God the Father is like. What's he like? And in verse 9, Jesus answered and said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you for three years or a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You have seen God. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? What he's doing here is trying to show his disciples who have difficulty, they have real difficulty understanding this concept of how can you be both. And there are several things in the Bible that we struggle with. You'll have to admit that understanding the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is beyond our comprehensive powers. Oh, we, we come up with some illustrations, preacher types do, that try to explain it, but they're poor. I'm spitting all over everything. Please forgive me. I can't help it. I got two teeth missing here and store-bought teeth here, and they don't work like the good ones do. So I just slobber and spit, but I, you just have to put up with it. Anyway, when it comes to the Trinity, here's what we do. We say, hey, look, you, you are exposed to things that are, 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 are like the Trinity, but they're not. They're just a simple effort to illustrate it. And we usually just use H2O. H2O is water. It can be steam. It can be ice. All the same stuff. But so we, we come up with the best illustrations we can to explain, really, which, is, which can't be explained. There's some things we have to take by faith. Because the things in the spirit world are many of them are beyond our comprehension. The Bible says this. He said, when we die, we're, we're told in Scripture, you, you cannot appreciate all the things that, are, that God has put together that's going to be there for you. Eye hadn't seen, ear hadn't heard, neither has it entered into the mind of, of a man the things that God has in store for those of us who die in Christ. So the Bible teaches us that there's things that, that are just beyond our comprehensive powers. For instance, if you were to go over into the, and, and read the prophet Isaiah in the 55th chapter, uh, of the, here's what he says. God is being, uh, in, in this particular text, Isaiah is quoting God who said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What he's telling us is, folks, just get to know me and take for granted that since my ways and my capacities to understand and to know are so far above yours, that even if I told you, you wouldn't understand. It'd be like one of these little babies up here that we're dedicated, we're trying to explain to them the Trinity. They'd look at you and say, you know, give me another bottle. It, 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 and some of the things, even for us adults, are like that. 
they're over our heads. So what we want to do is to get to know the things that, they, that God has revealed to us that we can understand and build on that a faith that pleases God. Now, so the, and the Bible is pretty clear about our lack of, of, of capacity, even as Christians. Because if you go to the book of, um, of uh, 1 Corinthians in particular, because the, the city of Corinth was one of the most corrupt places on the face of the earth. It was a, a seaport full of sailors who had been on boats for months. And on top of a, an acropolis, which this means hill, was a pagan temple, the temple of Aphrodite. They had a thousand prostitutes, both men and women, who at night would come down into the city and ply their trade. And in that context, God started a church. Now you talk about uh, Portsmouth is hillbilly heaven compared to, to Corinth, I promise you. And so it's in this context that, uh, that people are converted. They weren't Jews who had some Old Testament background. These were Gentiles who knew nothing about the Bible. The only, only thing they worshipped was fun and games it, and sex because sex was a part of the, of the religious worship of the pagan temple Aphrodite. So it's into this context that there comes a church. And, the, and, and so Christians then are trying to explain to non-Christians why they've become Christians. And, the non, and they said, but they don't understand us. And the Apostle Paul said, Do you, here's the reason why. And he spells it out here in the second chapter. And it's lengthy. And, I, I, and so I don't take the time to read it all. But starting uh, here in verse 6. He said, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. Who are coming to nothing. We speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God has destined for our glory before time began. What he's saying is now that God has had this message prepared to be preached at this time, but people don't understand it unless they have already received the Holy Spirit. People who have not received the Holy Spirit, he says, and I'll read where it says it, cannot understand the things of the Spirit. Here's the way he says it, as I just told you earlier. I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, no mind has conceived what God has preferred for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except that a man's spirit with him? And in the same way, nobody knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And so the Spirit of God knows the mind of God. And when he lives in us, he reveals it to us through Scripture and through his, his presence. But he goes on to say, even newborn Christians have difficulty understanding it. <laughs> Excuse me, I need a snort. And he goes on to say here in the third chapter, new Christians have difficulty understanding spiritual things. Immature, <clears throat> immature Christians, maybe you've been a Christian for many years, you just haven't gotten past the fact that you were baptized. You haven't matured in the faith to the, to the place where that you are, can be used of God to carry out his will. You're just kind of a pew sitter and you write a few bucks and throw it in the thing and you continue to live just like you lived before you became a Christian. It might get you to heaven, but it'll bleed by the skin of your teeth. So he's saying here, and the Corinthian church had a whole bunch of people who were like that. And so he writes to them and he's in, ch in chapter 3 and he says, Brethren, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, merely infants in the faith. 
I have given you milk, not solid food, for you couldn't handle the mature things. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. Now, what he's saying is your life hasn't changed other than the fact that you've joined the church. And that's because many of us have given people the idea all you're doing by putting your faith in Jesus is buying a ticket to heaven. Folks, it's, that's a side benefit. The primary reason we were saved is that God saved us to set us apart from the world to bring the principles of the kingdom of God to this world. You remember, all of you know the prayer. Our Father, our heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's saying, those kingdom principles I want brought here. Now, listen to me carefully. Most of us are really good at one thing. And that's complaining about the situation, the political and economic situation of our world. We're just really good at that. What we don't realize is part of the reason the world's in the pickle it's in is because we haven't done what we should have done and matured in the faith and brought the principles of God to earth. We haven't done that very well. And we're suffering from the consequences. So... The Apostle Paul is, is, is addressing because they, the, the church at Corinth were like so many of us. I did evangelistic work for years. And what we really do in an evangelistic campaign is just get people saved. But what we didn't do, and I didn't either, very well, because your success as an evangelist is how many people you get in the baptistry. Success for the kingdom of God is how many people who get to the place in their maturing as Christians to the place where their life is a recommendation to life in God's kingdom. There's a tad difference. In fact, there's a whole bunch of difference. Jesus, the credibility for Jesus claiming to be God, even though he was flesh and blood, he shed his blood on the cross, just to prove that he was more than just a phantom. He was a real human being born of a woman. The problem arises when he says, yes, but I have no earthly father. And the world looks at that and says, well, that ain't possible. The Bible actually teaches that God placed the seed of God in the woman and she bore a child without having sexual relations with a man. And so we look at that and we say, that ain't possible. And, and by worldly standards, guess what? It isn't possible. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about life in the kingdom of God. And with God, nothing is, what? Impossible, right. With God, nothing is impossible. Now, I'm going to do this every once in a while because you, you look a little sleepy. I think some of you went to the kids, what they call the dance that the kids have at school. They had one at Wheelersburg last night. See, you all know all about proms and stuff, but you don't know about the kingdom of God. So listen to me. <laughs> set you up just a little now here here's this here's a situation that we need to address since we're dealing with things that we don't understand in the flesh because their spirit can be discerned and understood only spiritually number one jesus existed before he came to earth get that in your mind he existed before he came and he came in a miraculous way <clears throat> Here's what happened to him. It's in the second chapter of the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul addresses this problem this way. He said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality or keeping that status with God something to be held on to. He made himself nothing. He chose 
taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, <coughs> excuse me, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Now what, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is when Jesus left heaven, he emptied himself. Now, he didn't cease to be God. He became a human being. But what did he give up? Well, he gave up some knowledge. When he became, we, know, we don't know what all he gave up. And theologians have written books about this. The only answers we really have are from the Bible itself. And we do know that he gave up some knowledge. For instance, when we go to the, back into the Gospels, uh, I think the simplest one is probably here <coughs> in the book of Mark. I have wonderful sinuses. <clears throat> and they're going to work on them. On the 16th, I get my throat cut. And they're going to work on some stuff. So if you're here, I'm going to have surgery. I am, but it's no big deal, except to me. Okay, what we're talking about here is that Jesus, when he left heaven, came to earth in the form of a baby, became Jesus of Nazareth, he gave up some of his godness, no, some of the qualities of God, in order to become a man. It becomes clear that this is true when Jesus is talking about this, his second coming. And this starts at verse 32 and says, No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. The Son is Jesus. But only the Father, he says. Only the Father. Now, so there, we know that he empties. So how is there any solid proof that we can get our hands on in Scripture where we can say we know we have solid proof that Jesus is more than just a man? And the answer to that question, of course, is yeah. I wouldn't be up here if it didn't. And this has to do with one event. Everything we claim about Jesus rests on one event. Everything. Just one. And if it is true, then we can tie into and believe that really, He is God. Because only God could pull this off. So what is it? If you read the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul addresses that very subject. If there's something that happened that would prove his godness, what would it be? He says it this way, <clears throat> starting verse 1 and following a few verses. Now, brethren, I want to remind you of the gospel. The word gospel simply means good news. Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you will have believed for no good reason. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. All right, now, are we getting this straight? Of first importance means this has to be true to prove everything else. This is the fundamental on which we build everything else in the Bible and about Jesus. The, uh, so I passed on to you what is of first importance, that one, Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. It was predicted in the Old Testament. That he was buried, actually in a borrowed tomb. That he was raised on the third day according to the Scripture. That's the issue. The one thing here, everybody dies. Everybody is buried. Now, some of you, 
you don't bury anything. There's a woman here last night. I was kidding her about Mother's Day and so on, about her husband. She said, I, I, I said, you know, do you miss him? No, she said, I don't miss him. He's sitting on the mantle at home. She had him cremated, and she put the jug up there with his bone. No, I don't miss him. Okay. Now, here's the proof. Not just that he was raised from the dead. That's just a statement. Then he says, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brethren at the same time, most of whom are still living, even though a few of them had died. Then he appeared to James. Then, he, then again to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared unto me also. So what Paul is saying is, if you don't believe it, go talk to these people. They were there. They saw him die. They saw the empty tomb. And they talked to him after he was raised from the dead. Who Jesus claimed he was is totally vindicated by the resurrection. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, if the resurrection isn't true, we're of all men the most miserable. Everything in the New Testament as far as who Jesus is and how it affects you and me is based upon the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. Only God can do that. Now, that being true, how does that affect you and me? Well, let me illustrate it this way. When the church was very young, we met in a Seventh-day Adventist building over here on 27th Street. The Seventh-day Adventists used it on Saturday. That's why they're called Adventists. So we used it on Sunday. Worked out good for both. They needed the money. We needed a place. Most of, the, most of our congregation were teenagers. We had maybe two or three dozen adults. When we'd have a carry-in dinner, the adults got all ticked off because the kids wouldn't bring anything and they ate most of it, which is no different from home or anywhere else. But that's the way it started off. And one of the converts, because we baptized hundreds, literally, one of the converts was a young guy about this high. I didn't know him. I knew later on the family. I knew some of his family. His name was Larry Newman. Larry was a little guy with a magnetic personality, evidently as ornery as Albate. I didn't know that. But he came, accepted Christ, became part of the church. About a month, somewhere between three weeks and a month later, because at that time I didn't, we didn't have a building, and I had a church office down over the Bible bookstore down on, what's that, 3rd or 4th Street, whatever it was there. On the second store, Mr. Newman, his uncle or grandpa or something, let us use that for an office. Here comes a guy walking up steps. He's probably 6'2", skinny, thin-faced, black-headed, asked if he could see me. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know him. I did know his daddy. His daddy actually ran a funeral home here in town. Wendell Howland Funeral Home at that time was run by Jim Purdy. This young guy that was coming up there was named Jim, after his dad, Jim Purdy. He, he played in a rock and roll, played some kind of a bass thing in a rock and roll band and, you know, all those guys going to hell anyway. And so, and, and, and he was right smack dab in the middle of that, the drug thing, the whole thing, because then it was primarily marijuana. He came in, he said, is it really true that Larry Newman became a Christian? I said, yeah. He, he kind of did this in the chair where he was sitting and said, then I know God can save me. 
He said, if he can save Larry Newman, he can save me. Now, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. I don't know whether he was saying Larry was that bad or whatever. All I know is the credibility of the gospel was resting for Jim Purdy solely on the fact that God could save somebody that he knew well. And what that does, you see, folks, for you people like you and me, we're talking about our credibility to the lost world. Through the years, we've lost a lot of our credibility, honestly. The church is influence in our world has slowly, during my lifetime, slowly deteriorated. Why? My claim is because most of us have stayed at the level of spiritual babes and never have gotten to the place where we've grown in our faith to the place that our life has been so dramatically changed that no one can deny that change. What should that change look like anyway, according to the scripture? Jesus' credibility was that he looked like God by the life that he lived, which the theologians have said was perfect. You and I will never get to perfection, even though the, the church of the Nazarene, and these are godly people trying their best. This is not a, this, all I'm saying is I don't agree with this one doctrine. Their official doctrine is this. You're saved. And later on, you can have a second work of grace which makes you sanctified holy. And from that day on, you don't sin. You just make mistakes. I, I don't buy that. That was an honest effort on their part to say, you know, the life that we're living isn't impressing anybody and we need to do better. I agree with that. There's not enough difference in the life that we live as believers and the life that are, is lived by people who are unbelievers. The fact that there was a dramatic change in Larry Newman's life. You know what he does today? He teaches a Bible class in Columbus at a church there. He has been faithful. Oh, maybe he stumbled his toe a time or two. I don't, I don't really care. As long as we're making an effort and going in the right direction, we need to encourage each other rather than badmouth. And he still, it's been two or three years since he called me or dropped in to see me. But folks, what I'm, what I'm pleading for here is that you and I need to grow, need no longer to drink milk, which is Paul's way of saying we're just, you know, sucking on a thumb because we haven't gotten to the place where we can handle the, the deeper things of the Spirit. We're not there. Very few people are. The result of which is that the church has very poor credibility in the loss in the world that where we're living. When they can see what we were is not what we are now. In an undeniable fashion, not so we can brag, but so that we can get closer to God. Because the Bible says the closer we get to him, and this is just a two ways saying the same thing, closer he gets to us, obviously. But for some reason or other, we've bought a, a bad concept of thinking that faithfulness to church, paying our taxes, being nice folks, is all that it takes. Well, that may get you to heaven. And we get the idea, you know, well, if we don't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, why, we're in like Flynn. That's baloney. Smoking's not even mentioned in Scripture. I, I don't think people ought to smoke because I don't think it's healthy. But I don't think it's going to send you to hell. You just smell like you've been there. 
That's the only thing about that you have to worry about. It, 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 we, we've, we've looked at saying, let's do, or the holiness movement says, you know, women, pile your hair on top of the head so that a crow can build his nest up there and make sure that your dress is long enough nobody can see your ankles. That's not holiness. You don't have to be a Christian to dress like that. That's not what the Bible teaches holiness is. Holiness means you've been set apart by God to get to the place where the life that you live is a visible, walking, living recommendation of who He is. And it's nothing short of that. Going to heaven, heck, that ain't nothing. You're just moving. Moving on up. That's all that is. That's not a big deal. But what I'm challenging you to do, and I hope people are listening on that and watching between their toes, that ain't going to cut it, folks. Until the character qualities. What, what, what were the character qualities of Jesus that made him, made theologians and Bible students say through the years that that guy was perfect? So he died as a perfect sacrifice on the, on the cross that God accepted as payment for the sins of mankind? Yeah, that's what it says. The Bible is, is pretty clear about what God expects us to do that most of the time we've ignored. For instance, listen to this. This is perfectly clear. But you don't hear people talking about it. I mean birds like me in the pulpit. Fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, all about the church. Verse 1, chapter 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. How do you live a life of love? Which means... You treat people really good you don't even like. I'm glad that works, because Alice Kay doesn't like me sometimes. And there's been at least two times I didn't like her very well either. But I got over it. How How do we deal with that? How do we resolve, as believers, to please God? Have you ever given this serious? Am I living my life to please God? All of us like to please people. As a young person, I had to, let me see here. I'll go five more minutes just because they took that more time than that, and then I'll quit. I didn't realize it's quitting time. As a young person, I had an older older brother, 17 months older than me, as you all know, Chuck, he was world-class honorary, really good at it, worked at it. And I saw that if I was the other extreme, people bragged on me. I got good grades. Was that to please God? Heck no. I liked the attention. You know, I was either valedictorian or salutatorian or captain of the basketball team. I was... I got all the little buttons and stuff that you get when you go to church camp and you go to 4-H camp, you go to FFA camp. I got stuff at home, all these buttons. You know, it wasn't that I was trying to please God. It was that I liked the attention. I was a selfish jerk in the eyes of God. Even though the neighbor said, isn't he a nice boy? Alice Kay's mother said, I'd like for you to date him because I think he's safe. God, was she messed up. There's a big difference in just being that and what God then called me to be. To get to the place and help other people get to the place where their life It's such a recommendation to who God is that other people will look and say, I don't know what he has, but I want some. 
What are those qualities when we imitate God? Well, you can go the route, you know, you can go this route if you want to and study all your life and know all this good stuff, and I guess it's all right. But we need to boil it down to 10 cents to our language and see just exactly what we're talking about here when we said living a life that pleases God. And, and, and that's as scriptural as anything. Here's what it says in the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, starting at verse 1. Listen, very simple. Finally, brethren, we instruct you to know how to live in order to please God. He goes on and explains things. He says, It is God's will that you should be set apart, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not a passionate lust like the heathen who don't know God. No one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. All of this is spelled out in Scripture. God's primary reason for saving us is to set us apart and equip us through the study of the Scripture, the preaching of the Gospel, and the encouragement of each other to get to the place where our life testifies who Jesus is. And nothing short of that. You say, well, I can't do that. Then now, now then, you've just made a silly mistake. You are questioning the power of God to change our lives into what they ought to be instead of what they are. So what are these things? I, I don't know how many times that I've actually called this to your attention, but that's what I'm going to do, and then I'm going to quit. The Baptists are already at Bob Evans, so no use being in a hurry. The Methodists are even quicker. They have 20-minute sermons on a good day. Here in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, that's a province, not a town, and tells them how to deal with this situation. He says, starting at verse 16, chapter 5, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. He's talking about the Holy Spirit that God puts in our life when we are converted. And there's a difference between joining the church and being converted. You can join a church and not be converted. If, you, if you're converted, God adds you to his church, whether anybody else does or not. These things are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are these, and he lists them all. And then he says... But the result of the, of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life is to produce the following. And if and when you, these things are produced in your life, your life will be a vindication of the gospel and the glorification of your God. But the result of the Spirit in your life is to produce love, Folks, I don't care what else you got. If we don't learn to love each other, everything else is a waste. 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Joy, joy. There needs to be a lot more of that around because it's something that God gives us and we encourage in each other in spite of what the world is doing. Then he goes on to saying peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that we should seek for in our, and push toward in our life 
if we're going to be an effective recommendation to who God is. And he has no other way of doing it. I was a young preacher, and I had very few, if any, of these qualities in a little place up in eastern Illinois. On our church council was a, a guy named Bishop McMurray, and he invited Alice Kay to his house for supper a time or two or three or four. And he knew, he said, Scott, you, you've got preaching ability, but your life is not sufficient to testify and give credibility to your message. You need to grow in Christ. Now, it takes a lot of guts to say that to a preacher, especially one who thinks he's something anyway. And that's, that's the case. He said, Scott, here's the way I do it. I'm not saying it's the only way, but it works for me. I take those qualities of the fruit of the Spirit and I look at my life every morning to see how well I measure up. Bishop McMurray was the most godly man that I ever met. He wasn't the smartest. He's an average guy. But when you saw Bishop McMurray, you saw Jesus. We don't look down our nose at anybody, anybody, ever. Because the change in our life will be through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul said, I didn't come with fancy verbiage. I didn't come because I was a big, good-looking stud. His name actually means little man. But I came in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we live in the power of the Holy Spirit and we move in the power of the Holy Spirit, people will see Christ in us and press into the kingdom of God. The poet said of Jesus, and I would think it would be wonderful if he said that of us, because our reputation in the world is not good. We're looked at as being judgmental and critical and unkind and not generous. The poet said of Jesus, the meek, the gentle, the rabble, and the rude. He took as he found them, and he did them all good. So should we. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for such a beautiful Mother's Day. Thank you for our moms. Help us to be grateful for those who still have their mother with them. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, your Holy Spirit that gives us the capacity to do what we couldn't otherwise do. And that's to be a, a living, breathing testimony and recommendation of who you are. Help us, oh God, to set that as a goal for our life. And we will be careful to praise your name until the end of time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.